Okay, I guess I have to <laughs> to discuss this. The, the Trump factor. This will be a bonus material for the Trump factor, as a friend of mine absolutely hates Trump. <laughs> and edged, uh, I believe for good reason. So full disclosure, I missed the entire 2016 process. I missed the whole thing. I, I missed... I missed it all, all of it. I guess it started with some kind of gorilla, and then the you're fired guy ran for office and dominated the competition, and the next thing we know, we have the reality TV star for president. I came back after that. I spent that entire year, most of it, in Alaska, and when the uh, when the election occurred, we had to fire up the satellite connection just to figure out who won. We were tied up to a tree outside the Wood River um, near Dillingham, Alaska. That's That was my whole election experience. And when I came back to town... The planet had lost their minds. I had some friends telling me, like, literally preparing for for a Nazi-style lockdown of the government, and other friends of mine claiming that that you know the the we we're going to win that 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 uh, we won. You know, we have somebody in that's going to fix the government. I'm like the you're fired guy. The you're fired guy is the savior of humanity. Or <laughs> conversely, you know, the people that are like, he's Hitler. It's like the reality TV star. Is Hitler? I'm like, well, he's like a New York Democrat from the '70s Playboy billionaire. Like to both camps. It was like, what the fuck are you talking about, Trump? You know. And so, and and, and what I realized later, because I had to go onto YouTube to look all the shit back up. And what I realized later was that there was just this huge cultural phenomenon. What we had was we had a conflict in the power structure that spoke centered around this one man that hinged around this one man, and it was really a conflict in the power structure. So. If you don't know this, all national media outlets, all of them are owned by have sixteen people have majority ownership of all the the national media outlets or all the media outlets across the nation. And really, what we saw during that election, or at least what I put together after the fact, was the billionaires were having at each other. The ownership class, the people that own, like I said in the, the previous podcast, forty five percent of everything. And if you don't know how it breaks down is 90% of the population, us, control 10% of the wealth in the United States. We do. The other 90% of the wealth is controlled by that other 10% of the population. And 10% of them control about half of that. So that's where the statement, the 1%, comes from. You know, it's it's the 10% of the 10%. So 1% of the population control about 45% of the wealth of the nation. The interesting thing about all this is that us, the 90% that control only 10% of the resources, we end up paying for half of the nation's tax bill. So taxes are literally, not figuratively, literally a freebie expense that we pay, and that money goes directly to the businesses that the government contracts with. That's why they, they donate so much money to political campaigns is because it's just another way to siphon resources away from the 90%. It's, it's, it's what it is in its entirety. I, if you haven't thought about it, I, I figured this out when I was eight years old, you know, and, and my dad was explaining everything to me. I was like, wait a minute. So we pay taxes on the money we make. Then we pay taxes when we spend the money. We pay taxes on the things that we buy. And then the things that we buy are then taxed again. Well, where the fuck is all this money going? And if you just follow the rabbit long enough down the trail, you figure it out. You realize, okay, so the system that we had, this pyramid structure that we have, when it comes to power, control, and resources, is designed to funnel from the base of the pyramid up to the top. That's just the way it's built. That's the way it's put together. So when I talk about the ownership class, I'm just not like sniping or engaging in class warfare. This is literally the system that we're under. And what happened when Trump came along is, and everybody knows it, on some level, everyone knows it, left or right, 
when everyone knows it. That's why it was interesting to see the the, the interplay between Bernie Sanders and Trump, because Bernie Sanders, all he had to do was point at Hillary Clinton and say she's a crook. And a, a, the percentage of the population that's aware of the system and how it works is immediately said, I'm voting for that guy. I don't care what his hair looks like. I don't care what his other policies are. It's the first time somebody in their camp just stated the obvious that we all know and is just never spoken about openly in public because, like I said, 16 people control over 51% of the resources. There are 51% of the, of the media outlets. They're also the same one that own the businesses that are benefiting from the system. So, of course, they're not going to talk about these things. You have to, at the time I was coming up, you had to read obscure text to find out about it. Now it's on the Internet If for anybody that just cares to look. But it's not mainstream, nor will it ever be mainstream because the system is designed to serve the mainstream and serve them first. So jumping back to what I was talking about before to address the question my friend had, like, what about Trump? Well, I always saw Trump, after I looked back into the 2016, when I came back home, I always saw Trump as an effect. Trump was not a cause, in my opinion. Now, this is just my opinion. Trump was absolutely not a cause. He was an effect of a system that disenfranchises the majority of its population. And when and the majority of a population that's, that is being disenfranchised is all of us. Not Democrat, not Republican, not conservative, not liberal. It's disenfranchising all of us. That's why the two most popular candidates of that election were the two people pointing that out. That was really what it is. And I think the true threat of Trump, Trump, he was too much of an egotist, too much of a blowhard, and too much of a bully to to pull it off, to really pull it off. Yeah, I do believe that if the nation decided to give him complete power, he had a big enough ego that he would be like, sure, I deserve to be the supreme leader. But like I said, he was he was just not that guy. I believe the true threat from Trump is not Trump himself. Trump primed the population to be ready for it. But he was an effect. He was an effect where he was the first person on a national stage that had any sort of any sort of power within the system that pointed at the system itself and he says, they're lying to you. Pointed at the system, they're against you. They're taking advantage of you. And the second he said that, he had a base. The moment he said that, he had a base of followers. And then it didn't matter what he said after that. The same thing was true for Bernie Sanders. As soon as he had to, he just had to point at Hillary Clinton and be like, oh, sure, Goldman's, you're such a good speaker that Goldman Sachs is going to pay you $250,000 per speech post-leaving office. Right. You know, and anybody that's even remotely paying attention knows this. They know that these people are leveraging the system. The system doesn't serve us. It does not serve us. And the first two people to point that out immediately had a base of the following. And Trump won. Sanders didn't. But that's where his support came from. And, and the media complex was trying to be like racism and all these isms and ists, racism, sexism, all of which could very well be true, but his support did not come from racism. I'm sorry to tell this to my left-wing friends, his support did not come from racism. It's, it was an overly simplistic answer that was spoon-fed to you vis-a-vis -vis CNN. His support came from an entire nation of disenfranchised people where the system no longer worked for them. They can still remember a time that it did. you know, Or at least there was enough excess so that it didn't so drastically negative effect, negatively affect them. Now we have the flyover states and the Rust Belt, and a lot of people are feeling their disenfranchisement and don't know where to turn because they've been kept ignorant in the dark of the cause. And yeah, they can be led by the nose. And this is what I believe is the true threat to Trump. 
not all these isms that you're talking about, is that these people can be led around by the nose because they're being disenfranchised anyway. They have no, they have no pony in the show, in, in the race, and they know it. So the next person that comes along, what I'm scared of is somebody that's that's better able to capitalize on this phenomenon than Trump was. Somebody that's gregarious, somebody that's younger, and somebody that's not such an idiot or a blowhard or an egoist. Somebody that can fly below the radar yet still capitalize upon that support. That is the threat that we really have to face because that person actually will be able to leverage the power of numbers that we're not using right now for our own benefit. But here's the thing, you Republicans out there. Here's the thing. When they leverage your power of numbers that you're freely willing to give them, they're not going to do it for your own best interest either. This myth of the altruistic billionaire coming riding forth to save us all is just folly. It's pure folly. So... Yes, I do fear that the conservative element of the population just might hand over the reins of power to a demagogue and actively work for that purpose. Uh, because they don't. Because why not? Because why not? They're already not being represented by the system. So if we're going to solve this, it's not to just jump on like, oh, I'm going to throw a punch at Nazi. Go fuck yourself. If we're going to solve this problem, it's going to be to realistically address the problem, meaning that we have a system that, that leaves 90% of the population disenfranchised. We have to come together to utilize our power of numbers and create a system that does not that, that serves us. That's the only way to do this, or else it will be this division that'll take place where neither of us is going to win. Nobody's going to win. And what I, I've been looking into this a lot, and there's, there's a movement. And I'll get into it. I'll make another bonus material because this is already going too long for bonus. But there's a movement that's, that's really paid attention to what happened with the marijuana legalization crowd. How marijuana was able to be legalized is they started at cities. They started on the city level. So different cities would decriminalize marijuana. Then they went county, and then they went state. And now that enough states are doing it, we're starting to look at federal. And where everything has to start, everything has to start, is we have to take, retake control of the legislative process. That is the linchpin that all this spins around. And that's the thing that both Republicans and Democrats are going to, that's the power that Republicans and Democrats are going to fight to the death to hold on to because it's their bread and butter. That is their corporate model. And we must break the two-party system. We must regain control of the legislative process first before anything takes place. That's primacy. And it's great because it's one thing we can all agree on, that the current structure... That, that lobbying is just a polite way to say bribery. That's true. Lobbying is just a white-collar way to say bribe. And that's just true, and it's something Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, all agree on. Campaign finance reform is something we can all agree on. And it's also the first thing that must happen uh, for it to start. And I went looking into this, and I found a nonprofit organization. I'll, I'll look, look it up again to maybe to try to find the links to post them here in the bonus material. But there's a nonprofit organization that took the marijuana model and is using it for campaign finance reform, saying going city by city, and you can do this within your own city, stating that making uh, campaign finance illegal in your city, that they just get a government stipend out of the taxpayer rolls. Boom. You cannot, you can no longer accept money. You can no longer accept funds. And it's definitely a step in the right direction. It draws attention to the issue. Again, I'll go look for the name of this organization. But there are several, but I found one that I prefer because it comes ready-made. They already have the... Um, 
they already had they had a lawyer draft out the code. You just adapt it for your city to live in, and then and then all you do is you have to get the power of numbers behind you. You get enough people in your city involved, and you show up to your city council meetings and browbeat them until they pass this legislation, and then your city goes on the map the same way the marijuana crowd did it. Then your city goes on the map. It's like okay, we've reclaimed autonomy in our city. And then after you get enough cities in your county, you go for the county. And then if you, after you get enough counties, you go for the state. And then after we get enough states, we'll go for the federal government. And that's the only realistic way that I've found so far to, to do this first step that is so desperately needed and also the first step that's required before anything else can change at all. Otherwise, we're either going to have a demagogue that's going to just plunge the nation into despair or if we don't get a demagogue or if that whoever the next demagogue is becomes defeated, we're just going to have the World Economic Forum's global agenda march forward until some other demagogue decides that he'd rather just pull steel and go to work. And we're seeing that now. We're seeing the, the, the first breath of that with Russia invading Ukraine, the first breath of that, because in this new restructuring, things are going to be shaping up, and it's not going to take different nations long to figure out that you know, it, a tank doesn't run on market influences. It runs on diesel. And like Stalin said, you know, it just, what does he say? Justice, democracy comes out of the barrel of a shotgun. Or it's decisions coming out of the barrel of a shotgun. I forget the exact quote now, but it is true. It's hard to er- argue with the barrel of a shotgun. And the World Economic Forum's plan for maintaining control, yet reducing the uh, burden we're placing on the planet, will probably just end in World War III. If you look at it, historically speaking... Look throughout history and tell me a time this didn't happen. And the funniest thing is the ownership class, whatever form they take, since Babylon has been trying to pull off this dream of, of hegemic control. They fail every time, yet they keep on going with it. They say, well, next time we'll get it right. And you, the center can never hold. I'll make a different episode about that. But the center can never hold. It will never hold. This will... This process will be doomed to be repeated over and over and over again until we, the people, decide to actually stand for our own power and autonomy. And we do that by working together with rational decision-making that benefits the whole. All right, cheers. Um, bonus, love you. Bonus material coming at you. Have fun. I hope this answers some questions. I don't like talking about Trump. You can do it some more later. Not right now. i got much more important things to do here at work. But that is first gasp take on the Trump question. So much love. Cheers. Be well.